Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Telling the Story podcast, a look at how journalists and all of us reach the world. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. We have two great guests today, so I'm going to run right through the plugs. First of all, you can subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. If you don't use Stitcher, it's probably the best podcast app out there. It keeps a playlist of your favorite shows and automatically updates with new episodes, so you don't need to download them. But you can download the Stitcher Smart app and subscribe to the Telling the Story podcast. Secondly, a reminder that my new how-to book for TV MMJs is available for purchase. It's called The Solo Video Journalist, and it is specifically aimed at those in college or just starting out aspiring multimedia journalists. I walk you step-by-step through the creation of a story, and I tackle the many challenges that arise when you have to do it all by yourself. Features advice not just from me, but from nearly a dozen top solo video journalists in the business today, That's The Solo Video Journalist, available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and the publisher's website. Speaking of solo video journalists, two weeks ago, I released the results of the MMJ survey, where nearly 100 current working MMJs gave their anonymous thoughts on the job, the industry, and how they feel others in the industry see them. The results were illuminating, including for me, and I am an MMJ, and one of the more interesting and concerning takeaways was the disparity in gender. Female MMJs gave lower marks than male MMJs to pretty much every statement about life as a solo act. And the largest gap came from the statement, I see myself as an MMJ 10 years from now. Male MMJs generally agreed with this idea. Female MMJs vehemently disagreed. So this is something that needs to be discussed, and my guests today are uniquely qualified to do that. They are working MMJs, and they are administrators of the Facebook group MM Jane, specifically designed to provide a space for one-woman bands. First, from WBTV in Charlotte, Sarah Blake Morgan. Welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. And second, from Time Warner Cable in Albany, Katie Eastman. Welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Thanks so much. We're so excited to be here. So before we get into the survey, I want to make sure that I just described the MM Jane group accurately. So Sarah, (laughs) talk a little bit about why it was formed and what service it provides. Yeah, it was actually just a few weeks after uh, the Southeast Storytelling Workshop I attended uh, with Katie. I actually met Katie for the first time there. And I had spoken to so many women there um, that we kind of decided that we needed our own space. So I talked to a few. I said, hey, if I started this group, would you join? And it seemed like there was such a... um, a need for a space of our own because we all MMJ, but it's, it's significantly different for a woman and there are different struggles that others don't understand um, that we can all kind of go in there and vent and share our work. So it had about 50 people starting off. Now it's almost a thousand. That's great. And, uh, and you're, and the two of you are not the first female MMJs to be guests on this podcast. We've had several before, but you are the first with whom I specifically want to focus on gender. And, and as I said earlier, I feel like it's a critical issue because when we talk about the differences between one woman bands and one man bands, there becomes a big issue in just, I think, being able to talk about those unique struggles that you mentioned. So let's start with the survey. You've both read it. You, I believe, both participated in it. Yep. Um, so, Katie, I'll start with you. Were you surprised by the gender gap in the results? 
Yeah, and I think I mentioned that to you. I immediately on the safety part where, where female MMJs said they, they feel less safe than more male MMJs, that did not surprise me at all. Yes, that makes sense on a consistent basis. I think more women are approached on the streets than men are. Um, but I was a little surprised by the gap about seeing yourself as an MMJ 10 years from now. And so I started to think about that. And as I thought about it, I realized I, I think I wasn't as surprised. And especially as we started seeing why some people in MMJ groups said that they don't see themselves as an MMJ 10 years from now, because I realized I have some of those same concerns. But I kind of, I, I hope to be an MMJ in 10 years from now, but I I am worried when, when we talk about... Um, having a family, being pregnant as an MMJ, are companies going to support you when you are in that situation? I think um, when I started to think of the the physicality of it and, and a lot of jobs where where you have that that physicality, whether if you're a, a, a policewoman or something like that, I'm sure they have similar concerns. Not that being an MMJ is similar to that, but in in just what you have to do with your body. Maybe that is where the concern can can be for for those for those nine months that that might be be a concern. So and for me, I realized that that is a personal concern I have. So I was surprised. And then once I started thinking about it, I realized, you know, what this makes sense. Hmm. Sarah, how about you? Were you surprised by what you saw? Yeah, very similar. I wasn't surprised. Um, safety was the biggest thing that I thought I would see there. And we did see that. I mean, I struggle with that. I'm a nightside MMJ. So I struggle with that on a daily basis. Um, and a lot of women do, especially with solo live shots, which you talked about in, in the survey as well. Um, I have to do mine regularly by myself. And even if you are in a safer area, I was in a, in a small town a couple of days ago doing a live shot by myself at 11 o'clock. And I thought to myself, you know, this is a safe area. Nothing ever happens here, but you never know. And it really is all about having that extra set of eyes. I mean, I can do it all by myself and I can make a live shot look great, but I'm staring down the barrel of a camera and I have no way of looking over my shoulder if someone comes up to me. So I think that's that's the biggest concern. I was not not surprised to see that at all. And the solo live shots, I think that was a mutually despised task uh, across the board, <laughs> female or male. And and that and, you know, we can go into all the reasons why solo live shots are, are just a, a bad idea in general. But I think the safety question, I think that one was not as much of a surprise for me, certainly with the gender gap there. And solo live shots are one example, but door knocks, uh, you know, going up to homes and neighborhoods and just approaching people cold. I can imagine that is a situation where, you know, you, you do have to think twice. And it must be tough. I would imagine you don't want to sacrifice the story. But just as anyone must consider safety, I would assume that it perhaps plays more uh, into the mind of a woman. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for a while, when I've been in the business five years, not that long, but for the first few years, I wasn't saying no to certain things because I didn't want to seem like a sissy. I didn't want um, my news director or my managers to look down on me or think that I wasn't willing to do anything for the story. Um, because I was, but just in the past year or so, um, I think I've become more cognizant of what can happen. I mean, we've all seen what can happen. Um, so if there is a situation where I don't feel safe, a lot of it has to do with door knocking. I'll say, okay, if you want me to do that, then I need a photographer. Yep. 
most of the time I get it. Um, but there are some times where they say, well, we just don't have the staff, so we can't give it to you. I would think that if you, I'm sorry, Katie, do you have something to say? I was going to say exact same thing. I used to not feel as comfortable asking in, in, in my first year, I was like, I can do this. I'm going to prove myself. And now I do not hesitate. And, and luckily I have managers that if, yeah, they say if that, if you feel uncomfortable, we will definitely send you with a photographer. And I think, again, that's one of those things that across the board, uh, regardless of gender, is an issue for young MMJs, just feeling willing to speak up to management. Because not only, you know, you mentioned uh, your words about not wanting to look like a sissy, but I think there is a general sense, too, of, you know, I, I, I am a solo video journalist. My job requires me to be by myself. And if I ask for any kind of help, that might be an indication that, oh, I can't really handle the expectations of the job when in reality it really should be more that that being an mmj does not exclusively mean that you work alone and that in the right situations and and i think i've always worked for employers that have been willing to listen when i talk about that but in the right situations yes there are times when it is not just appropriate but almost necessary and uh comforting in a way to have a second person with you even if they're not a photographer, even if they're just a second person, just to have someone there for safety or other reasons. Yeah, I like having an intern a lot of times just so <laughs> I do have that second person. So like you said, it, it doesn't mean that I want to do less work or I really necessarily need someone to set up my live shot. But that second set of eyes can make all the difference in certain situations. And I know for me, I've made it very clear to my managers and in my newsroom that I love being an MMJ. I see myself doing this permanently. Um, so there are some times where I think, oh, okay, well, if I ask for a photographer, are they going to think, oh, you know, she's just saying that she doesn't really want to be an MMJ. Um, I, so I think there needs to be in some newsrooms a mind uh, mindset shift and people need to realize that this is a great model and it works in certain situations, but we do need to have uh, exceptions. That was definitely one of the reasons why I wanted to do this survey in the first place is because I think, you know, one good thing about surveys like this is that it really provides cut and dry evidence of things that maybe we don't like to talk about. And the gender gap is definitely one because in an ideal world, we're all blind to gender. And I've never heard a female MMJ ask for any kind of help that might seem stereotypical for a woman. And then a survey like this comes along and suddenly it says that, you know, there are some important distinctions that we all need to talk about. And, and I, I wonder, do you, is that a recurring feeling and not just among the two of you, but among the hundreds of MMJs that are in the Facebook group? Yeah, I mean, we got a few responses from people um, saying they feel, well, there's a wardrobe requirement for women that there isn't for men. So we need to wear certain things that aren't conducive to um, MMJing, which I've never felt that pressure. Um, so I feel lucky in that way. Um, and then, of course, what I was saying earlier, just what, what do we do when we're pregnant? Or if, if we do, if that is a life choice we want to make how, how, how our manager is going to react to that. Um, so those are two, two differences. And, and I've been trying to think of others and that's why I, I'm like, is there something else with women? Um, is there, and, and I don't know, I, I'm just wondering if it's like a societal pressure where, um, women 
there, there aren't as many female photographers. And so that is something why we don't strive to be MMJs as much as men do, um, because we don't have as much of those, those female models for us. Um, I've, I've just been trying to come up with reasons that, that, that could make this make more sense because it doesn't really make sense. We can do the job just as well as men can, and we can be as good at, 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 as good at it as men can. So why don't we want to do it? as much as men do. I don't know. And I, I would think- say that you are the majority too. I mean, I, I think certainly yeah. when I speak at conferences, the majority of MMJs are women. The majority of respondents in this survey were women. And, and I think that might partly be because cause you guys posted it on the MMJ group. So that might have tilted the scales a little bit. But I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely think that if there are specific issues that affect female MMJs, then those are issues that affect MMJs because women make up more than half of the people doing that job. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think a lot of people forget that we are the majority in this um, because in you know certain circles and certain groups, um, you see a male voice that's a lot louder, which has been nice for me you know, to have this MMJ group because all of a sudden I'm seeing these incredible women, these incredible journalists who I didn't even know existed. Um, and we kind of inspire each other, but we, we've talked about this in a group, in the group before. For me, it was all about deciding that I wanted to be good at this and to really commit to the craft and not just do it because I had to, because I think that's what a lot of women are struggling with right now. They want to be reporters. They want to be full-time reporters. So they're just, you know, making it day to day, struggling with the MMJ life because they hope in the end, they'll end up with a photographer. But when you make that decision to get good at it and to really focus in on it and like it, it changes everything. I know that that was for me personally, because when I started in the business, I didn't really know much about what an MMJ was. I didn't go to a uh, a great journalism school that taught me a whole lot about it. So I thought, yeah, okay, I'll do this in my first market and market 143, and then I'll move on to you know, be a reporter. And now I don't really want to do that. And Katie, I know uh, we've talked before and you've expressed a very similar mindset that, you know, if you gave up shooting, it would be it would be sad in a lot of ways and it would take away uh, the creative spark, uh, just a little part of that from you. Yeah. And that's it stopped me from applying to to different jobs And the new the New England markets are a little strange where we don't have a lot of those like Boston has no MMJs that I know of. There might be one at one TV station that's like kind of an MMJ. So it stopped me from from wanting to get to that market, In, in even though I am in New England and, and I always thought I would want to go to Boston one day. Um, so it, yeah, and, and it, just like Sarah, I had to make that choice. I had to say, because I felt like I was struggling, I was struggling, I was struggling, and, and I would fail so much at the shooting side because that's the part that does not come naturally. Um, but once I said, I'm going to work at it and I'm going to make that that decision, I started becoming more confident in my skills. And once I got that validation too, like from other professionals saying, you are making strides. Like I remember Ann Herbst, I had sent her my work two years ago and she was like, this is what you need to work on. And then two years later, she saw a story and she's like, wow, you've really improved. And just hearing that validation was like, okay, I can do this. I am getting better and I will be able to make it to where that vision in my head is going to match the vision on TV. 
This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. My guests are Katie Eastman and Sarah Blake Morgan, solo video journalists and administrators for the group M.M. Jane. And, you know, you've both touched on this, but I think the fact that M.M. Jane even exists shows that there is an underrepresentation of female MMJ voices in general. And, you know, I speak at a lot of conferences, and I'm always I'm always very amazed at the lack of diversity in speaker lineups uh, when it comes to photographers. And I know, you know, you both mentioned the Southeast Storytelling Workshop, which I uh, co-hosted back in June of last year. And when John Kirtley and I did that, we went out of our way to make sure we had diversity across the board. And we had five MMJ speakers, three were men, two were women. In fact, the biggest lack of diversity was that they were all from the same station, my station in Atlanta. <laughs> but other than that, there was, you know, we we made that a conscious effort. But I, I'm assuming that you must feel that those voices are being heard or, or that those voices are not being heard enough. And I wonder, too, Sarah, you mentioned, you know, that those voices would get drowned out. Is that part of what makes it difficult to speak up to managers or speak up to people in the business about things that might be necessary or might need to be tailored to female MMJs? Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a valid point because um, you have these these strong voices that people know, people know their names, and for the most part, none of them are women. And I think a lot of female MMJs feel like nobody really has our back right now um, because there are some real conversations that need to be had and they're not they're not happening. Um, so I've said things in my newsroom, um, but you worry, are you going to be judged differently or, or looked at differently? Or, um, is someone going to say, well, then maybe we shouldn't trust her with that. If you do speak up enough. I remember one time I went, I was just shooting, um, on central Avenue in Albany and I had a few men approach me and, and cat called me and, and I felt really uncomfortable and I went back and I said something and someone said, that should be a compliment. And I remember just being like, oh, see, the fact that I would even get that response in my newsroom, that should be a compliment, mm-hmm. just shows that there isn't that understanding of, no, that made me feel really unsafe being alone. And because I had a camera, they felt that they could approach me. Usually it might be a cat calling from across the street and you feel a little safer. But when you have that camera, it for some reason gives people that I can approach them. I, they, they are... Um, public property. I don't know. (laughs) There was one, there was one girl who commented in MM Jane and said, yeah, I've quickly learned that, um, I can use my tripod as a weapon if I need to. (laughs) And I thought, and I never thought of that, (laughs) but I thought, well, well, I guess you could, because I often think about like, not that I'm necessarily worried that something's going to happen to me, but I have thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of equipment. And it's, (laughs) I'm five two. Like if someone comes up and tries to do something to me, you know, there's not much that I can do to fight back, unfortunately. So this girl said, Hey, you can use your tripod, which it's comical, but you think, yikes, are we being put in a position where we have to think about things like that? Yeah. Very true. So let's, let's have those conversations about first, let's talk about safety and what are the common sense things that managers can do? to make MMJs in general and female MMJs in particular feel safer at this job, which oftentimes comes with a natural degree of uncertainty about one's safety. I think just telling your MMJs that you can, that it's okay to ask for help. 
I think that making so that so that we don't have to be put in a position and not not just me, especially those smaller market MMJs where you are trying to prove yourself. Managers should tell their reporters that their safety comes first before the MMJ has to come to them. Say you can, it is OK to reach out for help and I will not think less of you for it. I think that could could solve so many issues. And I think it's a conversation that needs to be had, not just by, you know, with a news director, an assistant news director, but really your whole management staff. Um, because for me, when I'm asking for a photographer, it's at night, it's usually my producer and my assignment desk manager. So everybody needs to know that it's okay. And I would almost suggest saying if there is a sketchy situation that a reporter is being or an MMJ is being sent out to, maybe the question should be asked by the manager, hey, do you feel like you need someone? So we're not the first that has to pipe up and, and say that. If, if that was you know, phrased to me like that, I would feel so much more comfortable speaking up when I really did need a backup. <laughs> and solo live shots, uh, can we all just agree that that puts people in terrible positions, gender, uh, gender not related. Yes, I agree. I've, I'm lucky. I've never had to. I've done one in my in my career, so I I, I don't have much to say. I know, not. I don't have any wood around here, but yeah, I'm I'm really lucky in that regard. Yeah, I um, you know, we're seeing more and more and more. I mean, we have a station here where they have only have a few photographers, and all of their. If you want to go live. That's all. You have to do it by yourself. You don't have the option of having a photographer. Um, and I've been in a situation where uh, it was a shooting situation. Um, the police cleared the scene. It was a, not a great neighborhood in Charlotte. And we all decided a lot of times the crews will get to, together and say, hey, let's do our live shots at the PD. Um, and one of the MMJs out there, she said, well, I would love to, but my management says I need to stay out here. And she was completely by herself, and I was I was just shocked um, that her safety wasn't being put first. But I, I I don't think it's a malicious thing. I just think a lot of managers don't stop and think about it. And we always say this as MMJs, but for one day, I would like everybody to swap <laughs> jobs and come and see what we go through every day, especially with solo live shots. Um, I know that some markets don't even have MMJs at night, and I think in certain situations that could be a good call. We do. I'm one of them. Um, but there's, I feel like there's a line. I've heard in Charlotte specifically that that is a market that is very heavy on MMJ live shots, which again, for a market of that size was a little surprising, yep. uh, but seems to be apparently the norm. Yeah. We only have one, we have five stations here and we only have one station that doesn't have MMJs and we are my station particularly we haven't hired anyone who isn't an mmj in three years other than our investigative reporter who's my husband <laughs> um yeah but you know we're we're hiring solely mmjs right now um i don't i don't that's not you know an edict that's come down but that has is what's been happening in the past three years so the other issue that that both of you have brought up that i think is important to, to flesh out and, and figure out what our industry can do is this idea of of making a long-term career and overcoming the very real life hurdles that that so many people face and there was a comment on the uh, 
uh, one comment on my post about the survey that stirred quite a bit of discussion uh, both online and then among many of the MMJs in my newsroom. Uh, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. So this MMJ wrote, when I was young, I remember seeing tons of older women or older women kicking butt in TV news. They were so inspiring. Now with MMJ crews becoming more and more commonplace, will the role of an older female reporter exist? Will there be a woman in her 50s wearing heels, carrying gear, Facebooking, <laughs> tweeting, and editing in cars? Can I do this for another 20-plus years? Um, now, now, obviously, MMJs will never be the entirety of, of the news reporting workforce. There will always be uh, a healthy amount of traditional reporters, and those provide avenues. But in terms of MMJs, that's a really good question. And I was thinking after I saw that comment, I don't know that I can name very many female MMJs in their 40s and up. And I'm just curious, as you think about your futures, what are the things that can be done? What are the issues that need to be talked about in newsrooms? I think that there definitely will be MMJs 20 years from now because there are men who are doing it and women can definitely do it too. And I think there have been, and, and I, I'm trying to think, I don't want to, I don't know how old people are and I don't want to offend anyone by saying this. So I'm like, I don't, I don't want to say a name, but I, I think I can think of a few. Um, but you're right. There aren't, there aren't that many um, role models that we have right now who are and, women. Um, and but and I when think... you talk about the majority too, like how we were talking about how the majority of MMJs are women, that is, I would say, mostly in the 20 to 30 range. When I think of all the MMJs yes. I know who are over, let's say, 35 or 40, I, it's, it's almost entirely men, I would think. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, I'm thinking when I can think of a few, I'm thinking counting on one hand. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I think we have to because there is such so many there are so many of us being hired. And since they are there are more MMJs in higher markets now, it is we are starting to get paid a little more um, that that there is going there are naturally going to be more female MMJs. Um, I think we can kick off the heels. We don't need the heels. I don't wear heels anyways to work. Not for heels. <laughs> so I, I don't I don't know if that's the issue. Um but yeah, I, I hope I am. I really do. Um, I, I just hope that I will be getting paid what I want to pay, want, what I want to get paid. I hope I'll have the respect of management, um, and that it will become, um, something more common in society's eyes as well. And I won't get asked, where's my cameraman? I, I really hope that that happens 20 years from now. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I would like to say that in 20 years, I'll be a, an MMJ, um, you know, but if you ever want to make God laugh, tell him your plan. So you never know <laughs> what will happen, but I love the craft and I, I have no plans to, I don't want to be a full-time reporter. Um, but it's interesting because in having conversations with my agent about moving forward and you know where I go from here, um, about a year ago, there was a, a market that we were talking about. And she told me, she said, if you want to be an M MMJ, you're not going to get paid. So if you want to get paid in this market, you have to apply for a report. And that blew my mind. And I know this is not a conversation that's strictly women. This is for everyone across the board. But the fact that we're doing the job of two people and we're making less, it, it makes no sense to me. So I think that's a conversation that's going to need to be had. Um, 
also we've had a few girls post in the group about you know being pregnant and being an MMJ, which I cannot even imagine. <laughs> like it completely blows my mind to see the the women in the group who say that they are moms and full-time MMJs and they worked all the way up until they were, you know, eight, nine months pregnant and they're carrying around gear. That was fascinating to me. And those women deserve all the awards in the world because I, I just, it blows my mind how, how they do it. And Sarah, one woman who said she only got six weeks off after yep. she had the baby. That's mm-hmm. in a whole nother issue, which is a cr- spans for women across the board yeah, in, absolutely. in the United yeah. States. So uh, that must be really difficult. Sarah, you touched on it that, that some of these things are certainly not, um, you know, uh, certainly not only affecting women. And, and Katie, you mentioned, for example, being asked where your photographer is. I mean, I get that almost every day. So it is <laughs> oh, that's good to hear. something. Yeah, yeah it, it is definitely not something that goes away. Um, and, and I think that those are very good questions. Obviously you said the, the, the pay issue that I don't think is gender specific. I think male MMJs are, are, are also quite underpaid, uh, compared to our traditional counterparts. Um, do, but I, I do think the pregnancy question is, is certainly one that would seem to have some common sense solutions, like taking someone off of the MMJ beat in the later months. But again, I, I just don't know that 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 has occurred enough that it is that there are any norms for it yet. I don't know. That, I it's think, a very difficult one. I think that's why you have a lot of us worried. A lot of, a lot of women say, we don't know how our company would respond to this. And we worry that it would be negatively. So un- until we can, can hear can see other women doing it. I, I have yet to see a pregnant woman, uh, with with a camera i uh, in I, oh, uh, maybe I oh you have oh, wow yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which yeah so i just you wonder how how will a company react to that i don't know you mentioned some general uh general issues of respect too which i think are very important um and you talked about cat calling and <laughs> i will tell you this i i was covering uh, the inauguration this year out in dc and we were we were asked to be paired up for that. Uh, our company didn't want us going solo uh, because of just all the chaos going on, and so I was paired with a uh, with a female MMJ, and we worked together all day. It was it was a wonderful time. And whenever we would go up to interview someone, that or, or whenever we would go up to interview a man, I would say almost every time the man in question would make some kind of comment. And it wasn't necessarily a cat call, and it wasn't necessarily, I would think, meant to be insulting, but it was always something about either her appearance or something that was in some way patronizing or just a little bit belittling. And and I said to her afterwards, because I've never experienced that, and I said to her afterwards, how do you deal with that? Because that would drive me crazy on a day-to-day basis. And... You know, again, I, I, I like to think of myself as being uh, ahead of the curve in terms of considering perspectives and, and, and backgrounds that are not my own. That completely blindsided me, the fact that that was so frequent. And and I don't know that, you know, the fact that your newsroom, when you got back, Katie, said that that could be taken as a compliment is a little startling. I mean, this is, it was just one person. It wasn't a manager. I, I will okay, say that. Good, um, good, good. So, and, and I think, and I have a female manager who is fantastic with those kinds of things. My, my assistant news director, who I would feel completely comfortable talking about 
about something like that with her and she would be the first to say that is absolutely ridiculous. And, and so that I am, I'm, I'm very lucky with. Um, but yeah, that is a, that is a pretty common thing for, for female reporters. And I, and I think, you, but it's, but it's also just something that it's a common thing for females. So it, we're not surprised. It's, I'm sure lots of women who have jobs that, that mean they need to go out in the community also deal with that. So that's just something you gotta, you gotta learn how to, how to deal with and how, how you want to react personally in the field. And, and you need to figure out who you can talk to about it and and what you can, I don't know, there's, you, you need to find ways, coping mechanisms, I guess you just have to, cause, cause it's not going to go away. I don't think. What do you feel are, I'm sorry, Sarah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to add, I, for the longest time, I don't think I realized that, not that there was anything wrong with it, but I just thought, oh yeah, that's just life. That's normal. (laughs) Um, Until, you know, these groups have started popping up with not only MMJs, but any female broadcaster, newscaster, reporter, Mm -hmm. anchor, whatever. Um, And those conversations are going on daily. When you see the types of things that people think are okay to say to women, it is shocking. (laughs) So now I think I'm more cautious or or conscious of um, what is being said and that it's not okay at all. Yeah. There's a secret group about talking about that on Facebook that I think you're a part of too, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you're a part of it, Matt. Um, about I am not. I, I think I would know. <laughs> most, most of it is women posting the awful things that men say to them on Facebook, on Twitter, and maybe just like something that they were yelled in the street or, or an email. And it's always about their looks, how they're dressing, their makeup, everything. It's, it, it, it's very eye-opening when you're like, wow, it's happening across the country to everyone. <laughs> Never about the work. I would have Never. No, <laughs> never. Um, what are the other, as we kind of wrap up this discussion, what are, what are some other issues that, that need to be out there? The managers need to know that, that male MMJs need to know and just that, that coworkers need to know. Um, I just, I think for me, I just want to be treated as an equal. Um, and again, this is not specifically just for uh, female MMJs, but MMJs in general. And Matt, I know you talk about this a lot, but I do work that is the same, um, if not sometimes better than people that two people, two person crews in our newsroom. And we have a lot of MMJs. We have two in particular who have been doing this. They were MMJing long before it was cool. They've been doing it for 20, 30 years. Is it and- cool? <laughs> me, it is, yeah. I think so too. I just didn't know industry wide if it's considered. I guess cool. we're the only ones who think think it's cool. But hey, that goes back to my point. It should be cool, and we should be embracing it. And um, people should realize that we are an asset, and we are not less than, and we should not be paid less than, and we should not be treated less than um, because we're just as good. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, mic drop. I can't say anything after that. I agree 100%. 100%. Beautiful. Well, uh, this is the Telling the Story podcast. My guests, Katie Eastman, Sarah Blake Morgan. I did say we. I was wrapping up, but I just meant the MMJ, MMJ discussion. Uh, the last segment of the podcast, I always like to uh, dedicate to advice for younger journalists. And as you are both relatively young journalists, I thought this would be this would be particularly germane to ask the two of you just about coming up in this decade and, you know, kind of being at certainly at the forefront of the MMJ group and, and having the vantage point that you have there, but also 
just for folks that are in college, coming out of college, in that first job now, the kinds of things that you did early on to elevate your work pretty quickly because you're, you both do very strong work and you're both in solid markets. What would you say were some of the initial secrets to your success? <laughs> well, I just wrote a tip for storytellers for Matt, um, just about watching other people's work and watching, watching the best. I mean, I was so lucky to be introduced to this world. Probably my so- maybe my, yeah, my, at the end of my freshman year, my best friend, Abby Nisgoda said, Katie, you gotta, you gotta start watching Boyd Hoopert and Steve Hartman. And I was like, I don't, I don't know who those people are. What are you talking about? And, and that was what made me say, wow, I want to be able to do this because this is incredible. And it, and these stories make me cry. They make me laugh. They, they can evoke so many emotions and I want to be able to do that with my story. So that has just really helped me. And by watching their stories, I found out where these people were learning and I found out about Pointer, about NPPA. And that's what has really led me to be able to try to, to tell stories like that. And Katie, uh, I, I did want to touch on one thing too, because you mentioned Pointer and NPPA and I was reminded that you were one of the uh, original recipients of the scholarship or I don't know, was it a scholarship? I forget what it was called exactly, but you were basically given a free ride to go to the NPPA Northwest workshop uh, in Seattle a few years ago, which is, I believe where I met you. And um, so, so obviously that is something, you know, I, I always say that I did not take advantage of, of those kinds of organizations and groups when I was younger. And it was a little more difficult to find out about them because social media wasn't nearly as prevalent, but Certainly, I think you can look at yourself as a testament to what it means to, you know, be in groups like Storytellers and M.M. Jane and be on top of NPPA so that when these kind of opportunities come, you're taking advantage of them. Yeah, I wasn't even a member of NPPA then, and I didn't really watch the TV quarterlies then. I didn't know much about them, but that was posted on Storytellers. It was like an unofficial scholarship because they it was like King and Como. They were just raising that money amongst themselves to send people um, and Eric Sander posted that. And I immediately was like, oh, my gosh, I would love to meet these people. I would love to actually go to King. I'd never been to Seattle. I'd never been west of Iowa. And so when I got that, that's what fine. I was like, I got to meet all of you, all of these people that I had been watching. And that really helped with networking and then also uh made me see this whole world of NPPA. And so I, that's why I started entering the quarterly contests. And yeah, it's it just every little step can just make you go so much farther than you ever realized. I had no idea that that one weekend would just catapult me into into meeting all these people. That's great. Sarah, how about you? Some secrets to your success and kind of getting the ball rolling as an MM Jane? Yeah, I think um, my biggest advice would just to really put your put yourself out there as an MMJ starting out. Um, I've gotten to do some crazy assignments because I was, you know, some people may say stupid enough or smart enough to ask for them. These things that you wouldn't think a station would allow you to do. um, I was, I went to Cuba a couple months ago. I've been to Ecuador, to Haiti multiple times. Um, I was sent to the Super Bowl last year and it's because I asked Um, So most people think, you know, if there's a crazy assignment out there, they assume, oh, our management won't send me. They won't do it. But just ask. The worst they can say is no. And I think that what has set me apart in finding other jobs is because I've had those 
um, unique assignments on my tapes. So ask, and the worst that can happen is they will say no. What was the what was the response when you asked? And were there any questions, especially going to other countries and doing it solo? Were concerns raised? Were those discussions had? How did that process go? Yeah, of course, those concerns were raised. I know in my first market, Market 143, Lubbock, Texas, I went to Haiti um, for a week by myself. And uh, I had to sign a paper that said if something happened to me, um, I couldn't come after them. Um, but, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I, I did that willingly. I grew up traveling overseas. So I made that clear that, you know, this wasn't my first rodeo, that I had never reported overseas, but hey, I could figure it out. Um, so there were a few times where they've said no. Um, there was, I, I went with Samaritan's Purse to Haiti, um, again, this past year for the flooding and they offered a chance for me to go back again. And I was told no, just because things on the ground were getting a little dicey there. Um, so there are, there are, there were some, some doors slammed in my face, but I would say more than not, I've been told yes. And even for the one time that it works, even if it's only one trip, that's still one more than you would have gotten to take if you hadn't asked. Exactly. And it really does set you apart. I mean, because I have you know, a stand up in Havana, Cuba, I mean, that's eye catching for a news director or a manager that's that's hiring you. And even I'm, I'm talking about these international trips, but even, you know, going somewhere else, going to Washington, D.C. or going um, to your state capital and something that puts you outside of your market, I think, can really set you apart. So final question on this uh, on advice for younger journalists, specifically advice for MMJs in terms of embracing the video part of it, embracing shooting and editing. And you've both mentioned that, that that was kind of a turning point. I know, Katie, you mentioned that specifically about it being a turning point for you. And just talk about the importance of that and being willing to not just pick up a camera and shoot, but to devote one's time to becoming good at it and becoming great at it and allowing it to elevate your stories further. I would say you just, you can't be afraid to fail because you're going to so much. I still do every single day. I'm, I'm not great at lighting. And that is something that I've, I've, I've just stayed away from because I was, I knew it would be bad and I knew it would turn out terrible in my videos. And so then I just started doing it more because I was like, I need, I need to fail a few times before I get this right. And, and I know, I feel like so many people have said that, like fail up, keep failing up because that is the only way you're going to learn, especially when, when this is something for me that is really unnatural. Shooting does not come naturally to me. So I really have to work at it. But, but knowing that every time you do fail, you will learn from it and that yes, it might take years, but know that those years will eventually start paying off. And that even almost six years in, you'll start, your work will start to look how you want it to after and that's, I think, why it's so tough, because it does take a while. It's not, it does not happen overnight. Sarah, how about you? And bottom line, it makes the job so much more enjoyable. Why do you want to be miserable doing something that you have to do every single day? And I see so many women who unfortunately are miserable doing this, and they are just desperately waiting for the next jump um, or for it to improve. So make the decision to enjoy it and 
more than likely you will. That's what happened to me. I said, hey, I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to work hard on this. And now I love it. As Katie said, I have bad days. Definitely. Man, there was a day this week I got back to the station and I thought, man, who shot that? Like, awful. <laughs> yeah. um, so there are bad days, but at least they're enjoyable and you're, you're learning something new every day. Hopefully when you make a mistake, you won't make it again. Um, but being happy. Or you will, but you'll you'll make it a little bit better each time. <laughs> it will be an improved mistake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so make the decision and you'll be happier. I, there's no point in being miserable in a job that so many people have dreamed of doing their whole lives. Beautifully put. Thank you both for that. And I always like to end with that famous reporter's question, one I'm sure you've both asked many times. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add? Sarah, we'll start with you. I will just say, if you are a woman and you are an MMJ, you need to be an MMJ. And if you're not, request us. We'll add you. Um, yeah, we have had a few guys that have tried to get in, and they've been declined. <laughs> <laughs> or they think it's a group for something else. Yes, we, won't we get go a lot into of those people, too, unfortunately. <laughs> Katie, how about so you? True. Any final thoughts? Anything to add? Yeah, I would just say... Don't be afraid of it. it. It can be so rewarding doing it all yourself. And even though it's frustrating on the days when people don't think that a woman can do it all, just know that you can and it will pay off. It really will. Outstanding. Well, guys, it was a pleasure to talk to you both. Katie Eastman, Sarah Blake Morgan, thank you for being my guest on the Telling the Story podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. And the Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Subscribe on Stitcher Smart Radio. And check out my new book, The Solo Video Journalist. Once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.